in song and your worship of the Lord God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Adonai. Thank you for that word and song. I appreciate the many friends that God has placed in my life. And uh, I do not only think of them as friends, but as partners in ministry. And uh, you have possibly read the 16th chapter of uh, Romans, perhaps through the day. But I would ask you, if you brought your Bible with you, if you would turn to that chapter of Scripture. I would like to talk about how Paul expressed his appreciation for his friends and partners in ministry. And uh, I would just remind you that the Lord Jesus said even to his disciples, to all of us, My command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, and I no longer call you servants or slaves, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I had chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The 16th chapter of Romans is a very interesting uh, chapter in that uh, I, I love the book of Romans. You know the theology of Romans. Chapters 1 through 11 are just filled with all kinds of doctrinal teaching, doctrinal truth that is so essential. Uh, As Paul, who did not visit this church in Rome, he hoped to go there many times, but was prohibited from doing so. But he writes to them to show them the great plan of salvation that God had from eternity past. And how he would provide a righteousness, a righteousness that is not our own, but a righteousness that Christ would give to everyone who would believe in him. And the first 11 chapters of Romans, just filled with doctrinal information, a wonderful book to study. And then chapter 12 to chapter 15 He's talking about the practical implications of that theology, how it becomes very personal and how because of all these mercies that we enjoy, we ought to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable worship or service to the Lord. But he comes to the 16th chapter and keep this in mind. I'm going to repeat it. He had never met these people. He never visited the church at Rome, and yet he talks about many of the people that are in that congregation. And he likens them to his friends and partners in ministry. That's a fascinating thing. And you say, well, how did he get to know these people? Well, probably people came from Rome and told him about these people that were involved in the life of the church and in his life as well. And he talks about these people at some time. He may have met them on his travels, but for the most part, they were now in the church at Rome. I'd like you to look at this chapter with me because we see that Paul was a friend. He was a friendly man, made many, many friends, but he also needed friends. Do you need friends? 
I need friends. People in leadership do need friends. And you may think that's strange because sometimes you think pastors are so strong, they don't need anybody else to help them about and encourage them. But leaders do need friends. We're going to find that the Apostle Paul, that great giant in the faith, that man who served the Lord almost impeccably, you don't find anything about his spiritual life after his conversion, that uh, God faulted and and, uh, told him that he needed to rebuke him for something. He lived his life impeccably, but yet he was a man who needed friends and God gave him many friends. I'd like to see what some of these friends were like, why they were so highly appreciated by the Apostle Paul and the whole chapter. Can you imagine this? A whole chapter of, uh, let me see, 27 verses there. It's, it's just completely filled with directives to these people that were his friends and partners in ministry. I'd like you to look at this particular chapter. And he begins by talking about Phoebe. Now, Phoebe was probably the woman who brought the letters and the carrier of this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. It tells us something about this woman. He says, I commend to you. I want you to accept and and treat this woman in a very special way. She is our sister in the Lord. That's a very dear term, a close uh, relationship that he saw this woman as a sister in the Lord. She is also a servant of the church in Centria. Now, Paul was writing this letter to the Roman Christians from Corinth. And Centria was about 12 miles away from Corinth. And it was probably a church planting experience for that church in Corinth. But she is likened to a servant. Actually, uh, she is thought of as a deaconess in that church. She was one who ministered with deeds of mercy and kindness. And she probably was given a status or a title in the life of the church as a servant that ministered to people. And it says here that I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Don't look down on her. Don't discriminate against her. She's a woman. Yes, she's a woman. And many times in that man's world of that day, he wanted to emphasize to these Roman Christians, you don't look down upon this woman. And we're going to find later on in this particular chapter, there are eight different women that Paul refers to. Now, some people like to make fun of the Bible and they say, Paul's views, they're way off the wall. He must have been a woman hater. He was not at all. He respected women. And he tells the church here in Rome to hold up, respect and honor this woman. I ask you to receive her, to give her any help that she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. So this woman was a personal friend, a great encourager to the Apostle Paul. And the one word that is used here, she was a great help. It's the word that is found in the King James Bible in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, where it talks about the Lord Jesus being our great high priest who knows how to come alongside of us and empathize and sympathize with us. It's the word in the Old English and the King James Version that he is able to succor us. Now, we don't use that word. 
because that's a strange old English term, but it means to have a heart of compassion and empathy and a, a feeling of great sympathy coming alongside of people and being a friend and making yourself available. And Paul uh, lists this particular woman, Phoebe, as one that really ministered to him. Now, I don't think he's exaggerating. He's not being perfunctory in his language. Oh, flattering people, you know, complimenting people. This is not a mutual admiration society that he's talking about here. He truly meant what he was saying. He was very closely acquainted with these people and he appreciated them. And probably he had great conversations with Phoebe before she carried this letter of Paul to Rome. And she was part of that Roman congregation. And he tells the church to give her great respect. I must move along. He says next, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Spent some time in our Sunday school lesson this morning looking at the character of Priscilla. I don't have time to talk about all that Priscilla and Aquila did. But you remember they were ejected from Italy uh, in Rome itself. And they had a a time of tremendous suffering and poverty. They were married. They moved to Corinth. They were tent makers. You remember how Paul stayed with them for about a year and a half. And uh, I'm sure Paul taught Priscilla and Aquila many, many theological truths. They were two people that really enjoyed each other, a close, intimate marriage, a good, solid biblical marriage. They ministered in many different churches. They ministered in Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, and they went back to Rome again. And they were on the move, so to speak. In fact, our church extension department has picked up on the concept of Priscilla and Aquila. And there are couples that have the, uh, the ability either to be retired or perhaps the means that they could take a little vacation for a couple of months or maybe even a year and go work in some of our church plants. There's a couple that maybe you have come to know, Russell and Nellie Rook. Now, they own the uh, Didden Greenhouses in Hatfield. Now, they were rather comfortable, but the business uh, would be able to sustain itself And they would give years to different church plants, churches. They would go and actually buy or rent a home, live there on the scene and work with that church. And we call them our Priscilla and Aquila teams. There had been a number of them. In fact, Carl Spackman and Helen, his wife, they just retired from our Harrisburg congregation. And they're going to now become a Priscilla Aquila team and work with Pastor Smith. In our Harrisburg congregation, remember a couple of months ago, Pastor Smith was our guest on a Wednesday night in our missions uh, uh, emphasis night. They're going to move. They're going to possibly uh, find a place uh, elsewhere in Harrisburg, live among those people and work with Pastor Smith and mentor him, encourage him and be a tremendous support. That's what Priscilla and Aquila did. But there's an insight here that Paul gives about them that we don't have in the book of Acts. Look at what it says. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles, they are grateful to them. We don't know precisely how Aquila and Priscilla risked their lives. But when they were in Corinth, things became very violent and vicious and brutal. Remember Sosthenes. The synagogue ruler was beaten publicly 
because some of these people were beginning to identify with the gospel of Christ and taking a side and coming alongside of the Apostle Paul and the believers there in Corinth. And it got pretty violent in that time. They have, may have taken a stand. They may have done something to actually protect and help Paul from being beaten himself or even injured or put to death. We don't know exactly what it was, but Paul remembered that as if it was yesterday. And he says, these people were willing to risk their lives for me. And they not only did this, but they were greatly appreciated by all the churches, the Gentile churches particularly. Now, they were Jewish, but the Gentile congregations in that Asia Minor area, they knew about the, the, the way in which uh, Priscilla and Aquila were willing to risk their lives for the gospel. And he commends them to the Roman church and tells them, they are special people in my life. Let's go down. Greet also the church that meets at their house. And everywhere they would locate themselves, in Corinth, Ephesus, Rome, they always opened their home. Evidently, they were rather prosperous in their tent-making business. They had a large enough home that they could house the church. But they were willing to forfeit their privacy. And they were willing to have the church meet in their home. And they met on the Lord's Day, but many times they would go to the synagogue and that's how they listened to the apostle. They listened to Apollos and they recognized the deficiency in Apollos's teaching and they corrected him in a very loving and gracious way. Let's go on. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. If you're serving the Lord for a number of years, I am sure that God has permitted you to lead someone to the Lord. I would imagine some of you have led some individuals to Christ. Can you possibly remember that first person that you led to Christ? I was pastoring in Millersville for only nine months. And I'll never forget for the first two months, I didn't know a soul in Millersville. We moved there on December the 18th, 1954. We were just married. I didn't have a clue as to what I was going to be doing as a pastor there, but the denomination bought a church building that was vacant for about 15 years. We cleaned it up, and I began to knock on doors every day. I'd study in the morning, go out in the afternoon, and knock on people's doors. And I would say that we're planting a new church here. We are a at that time was Mennonite Brethren in Christ Church, and I would tell them what we were doing and whether they might be interested in coming to church. We could minister to them in some way. Well, I did that for two months, and I would come home, and Pat would say to me, wow, I, I said I didn't really meet anyone that was interested in coming. That's the way we did evangelism and church planning in those years. But one day, I knocked on this door, and Mrs. Keller opened the door. I have Heller, Keller. Anyway, she, I told her, she says, I am a member of Calvary Independent Church in Lancaster. I've had surgery. I cannot get there frequently. My daughter and husband and their little boy live with me here. I believe they are both Christians, but uh, I, I really don't know very much about their spiritual lives. And I would love to come to your church. So I came home. I was so excited. And I told Pat, I found someone that's going to come. And so I looked for them that Sunday morning, but they didn't come. 
So I went back and I felt free to talk to Mrs. Keller again. And she said, I had surgery. I lost so much weight. I needed a new dress. I needed a hat. And we will be there Sunday morning. Now, we had a church that probably would seat about 125 to 150 people. It wasn't a large building. But can you imagine three people with a boy, little boy, about probably four or five years of age. They come into this empty building. And my practice was always to do a service. I would preach to my wife. I would come down and take the offering. She would, I would prepare the envelope, give it to her. She'd put it in the offering plate. Uh, she would play the piano. I would sing to an empty building, you know. And, uh, uh, and now, here is, they come in and they don't know where to sit. Well, where would you sit if you came into an empty building? Well, they sat about halfway down where Marion and Chuck uh, Wood are sitting there. And they listened. I went through the message, closed with prayer. Uh, they, they attempted to sing. And uh, I thought this was great. They came back Sunday night. We had Sunday evening services. The only ones there. But they listened. They responded. And then they came Sunday morning again. Oh, I was so excited and talking with them throughout the week. Sunday night, I said to my wife, I'm going to give an invitation this evening. And I, I just felt led to invite anyone who would want to trust Christ to raise their hand. And I would like to speak with them. Well, it's a captive audience, right? I mean, they're the only ones there. But I must say this. I, I, I don't believe I was more than in one sentence of the invitation. And Charles Dietrich raised his hand, the husband of this woman's uh, the, the daughter. And Charles came down the aisle. He said, I want to be saved. I want to receive Christ. Well, my office was back in the lavatory. That's where uh, my office was. It was a small building. Took Charles back and we looked at many scriptures and he has opened his heart to the Lord. And about three or four months later, we had a baptismal service of 14 people. And he was my first convert and first one to be baptized. Charles Dietrich. What a delight. Here we find, greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Can you imagine this? How excited the Apostle Paul must have been. What a friend this man was. And what an inspiration, I'm sure, to many other people. And he saw him not merely as a buddy, but as a partner in ministry. Let's go on. Greet Mary who work very hard for you as a congregation. Don't know much about what she did that was so difficult. But it says, greet Andronicus. Andronicus, pardon me. Andronicus and Junius. My relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Now let's take this apart for a second. Andronicus and Junius, he said, they're my relatives. You find it easy to talk to your relatives about Christ. Sometimes it's the most difficult individuals to share the gospel with your own loved ones and relatives and family members. He says they are his relatives and they were actually in prison, possibly in Philippi, with him because of their identification with Christ. And it says, and they were in Christ before I was. That's amazing. I don't know exactly when they came to Christ, but keep in mind, these people from Rome 
That church was planted, obviously, by people that were at the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Remember when Peter preached? 3,000 people were saved, and they came from 19 different countries all around the Mediterranean. Those people went back to their family members and shared the gospel with them. And probably most of these people that were in the Roman church, even though they didn't have a, a lot of teaching until Paul instructed them with this letter, these people were probably saved either by relatives, family members, and they came there and planted this church. Paul hadn't come to this church yet. He didn't plant the church. And I don't think Peter planted the church in Rome either. But it was planted by individuals. And evidently, uh, Andronicus and Junius, the relatives of Paul, I don't know exactly how they were related, but he is uh, just identifying them as his great friends and partners. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Stachus was actually a judge. I want you to notice if we have time here, it's moving along very quickly. But many of these people were not just church people. These were people that he met in the community. They were in uh, different places of, of leadership in the community. They were secular people that, uh, before they came to Christ. Stachus was a judge. Some of these people we're going to see in uh, verse 24. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. He's probably a commissioner, town commissioner. I don't know all of these different levels, but just think about how Paul had so many different friends in so many different areas of life, just like you. You have friends here at church, but you also have friends in your neighborhood, friends in your community. And uh, when these people come to Christ, what a joy, what an exciting thing it is when they become part of the body of Christ. It says, greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Doesn't say much about Apelles, but maybe this man did not receive the approval of people. But Paul is saying, remember, he received the approval of Christ. Some people, sometimes people are forgotten, overlooked, missed. They're not the popular ones. They're not the ones that seem to have it together like some others, but if they're approved by Christ, in Paul's idea, he was a very special person. I want you to notice something here. As I said earlier, there are eight names of women. In first one, Phoebe. In verse three, Priscilla. Verse six, there is Mary. Mary. And then in verse 12, I just want you to jump over there. Uh, Trophina and Trophosa. They are twin sisters, twin girls. They're ladies. Now, can you imagine having your children by the name Trophina and Trophosa? Uh, my son-in-law's mother just died. Her name was Orpha Eister. She died very suddenly. But Terry is a twin. And his brother's name is Perry. Can you imagine when she yells for the boys, Terry or Perry? You don't know which one's going to be coming, you know. It's so much alike. Trophina and Trophosa. Well, they were popular names, evidently, at that time. But then we find also Persis, Junia, and Rufus's mother. I mentioned eight different women that are in this list of people that he is acknowledging. 
Let's pick it up again at uh, verse uh, 10, the latter part. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Now, I know that some of these names are pretty hard to pronounce, but you remember when you were in grade school, you were taught to pronounce things phonetically with syllables? Just break it apart. Think of the syllables. Aristobulus. Now, that's a tongue twister. But let me say that this was the grandson of Herod the Great. May not mean much to you, but he was a brother to Herod Agrippa I. These are people that are in the high echelon of government. Herod the Great. Remember how he tried to destroy uh, the Lord Jesus. Now, this is the grandson of Herod the Great is Aristobulus. And he's saying, greet those who belong to the household, the family members. Remember when Paul was in Philippi, he was put into prison. But he said, that's all right. I'm going to be able to minister to the Praetorian Guard, this elite group of military people in Philippi. That's all right. I'm going to present the gospel to these people. And many of the households of these guards came to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Aristobulus was one. Greet Herodian, my relative. Boy, he must have had relatives all over the place, didn't he? I mean, quite a man. Uh, Now, he's not exaggerating. He's saying that Herodian is my relative. Then he says, greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard. And the word here is to, uh, that, that they work to the place of exhaustion. These, these two women work very, very hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me also. Now, Rufus, if you look at Mark chapter 15, verse 21, you remember the name of the man who carried the cross of the Lord Jesus? Remember who carried that cross? Who was it? Simon of Cyrene. You'll find that he had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. His father, Rufus, this man here, carried the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to remember Rufus and his mother. It doesn't tell his mother's name, but he said she was like a mom to me, a mom away from home. I thank the Lord for some of the moms that God placed in my life over the years in my churches. Hon, do you remember Mrs. Hinkle? Remember Mrs. Tolman? Uh, remember uh, Mrs. Wismer, Lulu Wismer? Oh, just a dear, dear woman. She was the daughter of one of our older pastors. Um, and uh, she, on Wednesday nights, oh, she loved the Lord. They began the home farm. I've I got to give you a little, little tidbit of history. They worked in our home farm in Cooper's, in Center Valley. They would take care of three aged ladies who were widows. And they did the farming. My parents would go down and buy raw milk from the Wismers. We would go down from Bethlehem to Center Valley. The home in Center Valley developed so that it grew and we moved to Nazareth where we could handle 25 elderly people. I remember coming on the board of Fellowship Homes at, when it was at Nazareth. My mother was a resident there as well. We've grown now to where we have 750 residents on our retirement center in Whitehall, 
Allentown, Pennsylvania. And it all began with Lulu Wismer and Isaiah Wismer. They're ancient names, aren't they? Lulu and Isaiah Wismer, they began the home farm because they had a compassion and a love for people and elderly people. And that has grown to where we now have 750 people on the campus of our fellowship home. Hope you get a chance to visit there someday. But here's Rufus's mother. Uh, Lulu Wismer was like a mother to my wife and I. We were young and green and just so inexperienced. I remember our girls were very young. We had a choir on Wednesday nights so that Pat and I could sing in our church choir. Lulu Wismer would take our girls home and tuck them to bed. Lulu Wismer made all kinds of Barbie doll uh, clothing. I think uh, uh, Deb and Barb had any kind of Barbie clothing that you could think of, because Lulu Wismer made all. She was a tremendous godly woman. And her father was E.N. Castle. Uh, Dot Dengler, would you have ever heard the name E.N. Castle? Don't mean to put you on the spot, but he was one of our older pastors. I remember him because he was the chairman of the statistical committee when I came on that committee 58 years ago. And he was our chairman. I remember he sat there. He was a very austere, very old at that time. But E.N. Castle, that was her father. But the point I'm trying to make is God gave us moms in our congregation. Paul says Rufus's mother was a mother to me. Now, can you imagine the Apostle Paul, this great servant of God, giant in the faith? He says, I needed a mom, too. We don't know who. Paul or Saul's mom and dad were, but we find here that he looked at her as a mom. I got to just move on here. Uh, I come down to verse 16. Uh, let me just look at Neros in verse 15. Greet Philogius, uh, Julia, and Neros. This man was actually serving in the court of Nero. You remember that in 64 A.D., the Apostle Paul was put to death by Nero. This man, Nerus, served in the court of Nero, who eventually put the Apostle Paul to death. What an amazing thing. How there was such a network, such a tremendous body of people from all different walks of life that were the friends and the partners of the Apostle Paul. And he greets them and he expresses to this congregation, I want you to respect these people. I want you to appreciate them. Probably some of these people didn't even know what some of these people were doing behind the scenes. But Paul identified these things. And he says, I want you to appreciate these individuals, honor them. Express your love and affection to them. He was never ashamed to express his affection to people. He even says here, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we don't do that kind of thing. We find it very difficult sometimes in German culture to even hug someone. We usually shake hands. Or sometimes someone will draw us to each other and, and we hug. But Paul says we ought to really demonstrate our deepest appreciation and affection and respect for one another. We are Christ's friends. He is our friend. 
I know you have many friends that know the Lord, some that do not know the Lord. I trust that you will express while they are living your deepest appreciation and affection for them. I had many heroes in my life and my Christian experience. Probably one was Jansen Hartman. Pastor Reed talks about Jansen Hartman. I will never forget my father died uh, to the age of 49. Uh, I had just been ordained the month before my father died. I had attended Berean Bible School in Allentown, and Jansen Hartman was the president of the school. But he also became my spiritual father. I lost my father. Loved my dad. My dad was a godly man, walked with the Lord. It wasn't perfect. None of us are. But I know that it was a great loss. But Jansen Hartman became a spiritual dad to me. I know many, many times we'd have talks together and I was able to go with him on school trips and sing and that kind of thing. But the one thing I want to share with you, uh, it was uh, one year at annual conference, Jansen Hartman was beginning to fail. I can't tell you, I cannot describe for you the leadership that this man uh, bore over the years in our denomination. A godly, godly man who walked with Christ knowledgeable in the word of God, had a heart for people. And one of the amazing things, he could remember people's names far better than I could. But I'll never forget that one annual conference. I could see him beginning to just deteriorate a little bit. His mind wasn't as sharp. His body was beginning to experience. It was about a year before he died. And he came up and said, Leroy, so good to see you. Thank you for the years. And I said, Brother Hartman, I cannot tell you how much I love you and have appreciated all that you have done for me over the years. Your leadership in ministry, your camaraderie, your fellowship in the gospel. You've been such a blessing, such an asset in my spiritual life. You were very patient with me. I know I didn't do everything right, but I thank you. I thank you. And eyeball to eyeball, we wept. I hugged them and I am so grateful that I took the time that day at annual conference. We were standing up front together. I was a teller and I was collecting ballads and I just expressed my deepest appreciation for I am so glad I did. Perhaps there's someone that has been very, very special in your life. Do you remember them? Have you forgotten them? Do you convey that love and appreciation to them from time to time? Maybe just not once. Do it frequently. Do it often. Let them know how deeply you appreciate their testimony, their witness, their affection for you and their kindness, their helpfulness in your life. The Apostle Paul gave a whole chapter to the Word of God that will never disappear, will never change. This chapter will always be in every Bible. And he was not ashamed to recognize these people. Maybe he singled some out. Maybe some other didn't get mentioned. But these were the people that were very special in the Apostle Paul's life. And he made it very clear to them that he loved them and appreciated them. And maybe some of these people he didn't even meet and know intimately, uh, perhaps in casual relationships, but he never forgot them. I want you to remember those that have had such a special part in your spiritual development. 
Remember them. Pray for them. Uh, write to them. Let them know that you deeply have appreciated all that they have done. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. He's given us so many doctrinal, biblical truths. Oh, this book of Romans is so rich with information, knowledge, truth of your glory and your praise. In this particular chapter, it closes with the longest benediction he ever gave in any of his letters, where he exalts Christ in every way, the glory of Christ. But I thank you that he took the time to mention individuals that were so valuable in his life personally and in ministry. These were partners of his in the gospel. He recognized that he couldn't do everything himself. He had a team, a team of people supporting him in prayer and working with him. And he acknowledges these people and expresses their, his appreciation for them. Oh, there have been many in our lives, Lord, that have contributed to our spiritual development. I thank you for many that prayed for us. Some that were very patient with us when perhaps we were struggling with some burden or trial. Thank you, Lord, for all of our friends. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are truly our friend. And you have called us to be your friends. Teach us to be friendly, to reach out to people to care about people, even as Priscilla and Aquila did, Phoebe. Many of these people had a heart for others that they might know the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your people, for the friends that you've given to Pat and myself. Help us to be a friend to every individual in the life of this church. And we ask it all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.